Welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast, the show that helps you use psychological ideas to strengthen your relationship with your catastrophically injured clients and their professional network, so you can achieve more for your clients and feel more fulfilled in your role. Hello and welcome to today's episode. So I have been reading some random statistics about stress in the general workforce, having seen quite a few things on LinkedIn about uh, stress in the in the workplace and um, different jobs being more stressful. And I came across a few surveys that seem to suggest that people who work in the mental health field are quite stressed relative to some of the other jobs that people can do out there, but also people in the law are quite high up there, which I didn't really think about particularly. Um, I'm not really sure why, because certainly the people that we work with um, in personal injury world um, are subjected to quite a lot of stress. (laughs) But it's quite an interesting thought because um, I bumped into um, a solicitor colleague at an event recently, Laura Murphy, who is a senior solicitor at Lee Day, um, and who is joining um, the podcast today. And it felt like some of the things that I've been reading perhaps are a little bit um, true. And so Laura and I um, thought we would have a chat about some of these things um, on the episode today. So um, welcome, Laura. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, not at all. I was um, really struck by our conversation that time that we met um, about how we we do work in quite a stressful field. You as a lawyer and me as a mental health professional and the insights that you lent about that were really, really interesting. And I'd really like to unpick that a little bit today. So thank you for joining us. But before we get on to that, tell us a little bit about you. Um, you know, I like to start my, my episodes with a little, you know, trip down memory lane. Yeah. <laughs> a good time for re- reflection. I've been a solicitor, uh, well, is specialising in personal injury litigation for just over 13 years. And I've been at Lee Day just over four years. And yeah, I specialise in um, representing clients who sustained very serious injuries in road traffic collisions, workplace accidents, those type of incidents, and, you know, supporting them and their families to try and uh, get compensation ultimately, but also very importantly, rehabilitation along the along the way and it's something I'm very passionate about. Mm. So how um why personal injury law? Um I'm just curious. I'm just being a bit nosy as well. But, yeah. um, tell me, how did you get into personal injury specifically? When I did my training contract, we we do sort of three or four different areas and personal injury was one of those. And for me it just really um encapsulates what I enjoy about my profession, which is the combination of the sort of technical and legal aspects the sort of academic side if you like with the real human side and so actually making an impact on people's lives in a very personal way which some of the other types of law don't have that sort of very human element and it's that combination that I really really enjoy and um, that's why I sort of chose it and and specialise in that area. Mm, Very interesting because I often forget that law, law, particularly in personal injury, in the personal injury field, and I suspect there are others similarly, um, that are more sort of in touch with the human aspects of the law, are helping professionals ultimately. You are a helping professional, just like a psychologist, dare I say, or a case manager. 
or <laughs> um, you know any any other member of an MDT um, yeah. you know around our clients. We it, always uh, sort of have a joke with our clients that you know um, I'd like to say I'll see you again sometime, but they're sort of glad to see see the back of us by by the end of it because we are coming to them at, at probably one of the most traumatic points in their life. You know, similarly to. Um, you know a divorce solicitor if you like or uh, an employment solicitor it tends to be when something arises in their life that has gone Mm. horribly horribly wrong and that's why they need professional support but yeah it it is coming to it um, at a time when they need they really do need that help yes yes there is something quite quite it's not even you know a build-up it's 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 literally a crisis in yes and and you're the first port of call yeah, often, you know, you, you can be going to see a client at, at literally at their hospital bed and, you know, other than perhaps the police, you can be one of the first sort of professionals, certainly, that they've that they've spoken to and or that their family on their behalf are reaching out completely in a crisis state, not knowing, you know, it's the sort of thing that unless you've ever had to go through it, hopefully not, um, you, you don't know where to start and you really are, you know, reaching out for for support on on many different areas. And and yeah, we are often that first port for them. Gosh. Um yeah. I mean even I don't necessarily know what that's like. Uh, you know, as a mental health profession, I'm I'm thinking, or you know, as a case manager, because we come in much later on, don't we? Mm. Um and it's it's really interesting to hear that um oh I I'm slightly concerned as well because I lawyers aren't mental health professionals, but you're dealing with trauma, like severe, like acute, you know, trauma that has you know that that is raw and has just happened and it's not just the client it's often family members as well as you say and that's 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 quite an accumulative you know experience of trauma in a crisis moment Mm, yeah that's right I mean we have no clinical background whatsoever I mean even my I did a law degree and I did a the course that you do after your law degree the legal practice course neither of those Mm. contain any element of sort of psychological or counselling and and that's for good reason obviously because we we can't hold ourselves out as you know having a psychological background because we're not we're not trained to do so but it, it does mean that particularly as a junior solicitor sometimes you are going into these experiences completely with you know and dealing with traumatized people but completely with no sort of clinical background and it's you know they can be quite quite um confronting situations honestly I can't imagine entering a situation like that without any training at all like not even a lecture on it are we are we literally nothing you're going in effectively blind yeah (laughs) that's shocking is um you know relying on your sort of senior colleagues when you're when you're junior you know generally if you were going to a meeting like that with severe injuries you'd probably go with the partner or the associate in your team and and you would basically be relying on their experience over many many years to to help guide you how to manage that situation it's purely a supervision and a sort of peer support thing rather than any kind of any even potentially life experience. I mean, I was I was still in my 20s when I was a, a junior solicitor. So, yeah, not not with a huge amount of life experience, let alone clinical experience. So um, it is quite yeah, it's very interesting. And what I think I, I'm hearing you also say is not even support from colleagues who would have had training because they would have had the same training you would have had, which is mate but except for the life experience perhaps and obviously on the job training 
but the the mental health training the sort of how to support someone who's just heard something really awful mm, um mm, and yeah. other than being a human to a human which thankfully often does bring out the best yeah. of us um <laughs> a lot of the time and i'm sure that's the case for people in 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 your um profession as well but uh, you know i i just i find that really um mm. that's insane <laughs> from my perspective I know I'm coming from within, you know, embedded, you know, purely within that sort of mental health model. But um, mm, mm. I, I find that really, I, I worry, I worry. I, I feel mm. worried for, because yeah. um, I think one of the things I did also read, and you also confirmed that there is um, a, a charity out there. That's right, um, yeah. A, a law Care. Tell me, tell me what, so Law Care is a charity that supports solicitors. That's right, yeah, it was set up specifically to help for mental well-being specifically for lawyers I think you know over many years it's become recognized that you know as you said in your introduction the the sort of perfect storm of everything that comes as a lawyer uh, so dealing with deadlines and work stresses but then on top of that you know potentially sort of dealing with traumatic situations means we are in a bit of a unique situation and it's you know, thank goodness the conversation around mental well-being has improved um, over the last few years and it's becoming more recognised that, you know, if, if if we're not sort of supported to be able to, to continue this work, then we'll, you know, risk burning out and um, not being able to sort of deliver that that support ourselves. So, yeah, the charity's doing, doing great things. They've got a helpline and I, I think they do a lot of research and, and things like that mm. as well. So it's really good. And I, I mean, I've certainly noticed, um, you know, I'm very fortunate at Lee Day that, you know, they recognise as well the impact on our wellbeing. And we have like an employee assistance helpline that we can call and we have, you know, very good supervision and training and things like that. So certainly things are are improving you know as you say most of it is simply learned experience and obviously I'm I've got the benefit of many years experience behind me now as well but I'm so glad to see you know it's being talked about and it's being addressed now yeah yeah because the statistics that the law care produced was something like three quarters of their calls are around severe stress you know, mm. solicitors experiencing severe stress, excessive drinking, up to 30% in men and 20% in women that call. Mm. And and it's possibly a combination of being part of a, a in a job or in a profession that is very results driven, but also you're dealing with, you know, some really fundamental human issues like freedom mm. and justice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know the basics of life and it's it, it was really striking to me to hear mm. that and I'm just mm. curious as to what kind of experiences that you if you if that's okay to disclose what um obviously in an in an anonymous way but mm. um what kind of things you've experienced that yeah. kind of might play into those statistics about you know being severely you know where which can trigger severe stress yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's not hugely surprising to me that, you know, that that is the situation. And mm. I think it's a perfect storm of, you know, obviously, we are deadline driven litigation is yeah, deadlines, it's results driven, you know, there are, there are the pressures. But then, you know, some of the some of the sort of client stories that we're, we're dealing with as well. And I was thinking about it before we, we spoke, some of the things that I've dealt with over the years of sort of difficult or you know complex situations and yeah there, there's so many of them everything from you know um someone who's severely injured and has you know really awful um 
psychological symptoms and how you how you talk to them how you communicate with them how you you know make sure they're updated or you know do you send them documents related to their claim you know making sure you're thinking about how to cope with their psychological injuries mm-hmm. and then there can be you know things like where the if we've asked for an early interim payment and you know the defendant perhaps refuses it because there are liability issues in the case and that can mean you take a family where perhaps it was the main, you know, earner who's been injured and, you know, they literally don't know how to pay their mortgage. And mm. they're phoning phoning you as the first port of call saying, you know, I've got the mortgage is supposed to be coming out of my bank account tomorrow. What, what What's going to happen? You know, and so you've got the pressure that, you know, there are certain things we can try to do, like issuing proceedings and trying to make an application. But there's a lot a lot to think about before we get to that point and whether you know we've got enough evidence whether we've got medical support all those things before we can sort of take those steps so it's not always a, a black and white answer that we can give and that's it's very nuanced and trying to explain that to somebody who's literally at the you know the end of their tether is is very difficult and then the, then I was thinking well often we actually have to see some quite traumatic things so for example photographs of and videos of collisions um actually happening and post uh, post collision uh we have we have photos of um you know very severe injuries um both before and after sort of treatment uh we go to inquests and um and other sort of court hearings where we hear in detail um you know witness evidence about these kind of events uh, and things like that so yeah, it's a lot of um, a lot of potentially sort of quite confronting and graphic information. Mm. Um, I suppose one of the ways I've always tried to deal with that is is by you know keeping some level of boundary between you know what I am and I'm not able to help with, um, and that's how that's how I sort of have always dealt with it is you know to be upfront with the client from the beginning about you know, I can, yes, I can deal with these aspects, but when it comes to, you know, the psychological side, no, I I can't deal with that. And that's where the importance of being able to signpost and refer to, you know, the case manager and others in the team just is absolutely essential because some, I may tell the client something really difficult and then I don't actually have the the, the skills or sort of uh, background to be able to say, well, now I can help you unpick you know, if I say, well, the defendant just got off the criminal charge for hitting you um, and they're not they're not being prosecuted at all. And the client's then devastated. Well, I can't help them psychologically unpick that. I have to signpost and refer them to, you know, the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where, you know, getting a case manager on board and hopefully a psychologist, it just comes into its own in, in that yeah. respect. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the thing that strikes me with litigation is that, yes, it is time pressured, but actually things happen. There's a process um, that needs to happen. And and sometimes, you know, until liability is assigned, a case manager is unlikely to be in place, which means yeah. an MDT is not likely in play, to be in place, which means a psychologist may or may not be in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the middle of a crisis or, you know, a high stress situation or, you know, where trauma is is particularly triggered, that's very very difficult when is, there is yeah. you know there's a limited appropriate support to deal mm. with those those needs 
in that case we we would you know all we could do in that situation is sort of say go to your gp and see what they can offer you by way of psychological support and i think we all know now even more than ever post pandemic um you know those resources are so stretched and yeah. it's a it's a real worry uh, because you sort of know that until you can get liability resolved and and get interim funding you know your client is reliant on what the nhs is is able to provide and it's really really difficult mm. i think you mentioned um that you would probably hazard a guess as to say that the vast majority of your clients have some kind of mental health sort of easily identifiable sort of from a a non-specialist perspective Uh, you know there's something emotional for them that that um is presenting in in Mm -hmm. uh, I, i mean i don't know would you think that there's a number that you could put on that um from your experience you know not to yeah it's obviously it's anecdotal based on yeah, a, a sure. clinical sort of background but I would say you know it's definitely the majority you know if not you know the vast majority um 80 90 percent and and there's a scale within that you know there's some people who just in, initially uh suffer of suffer a bit and then there's people who you know unfortunately have really really severe psychological consequences but I suppose it's it's not um surprising when you think of the nature of of these sort of accidents or collisions you know it's a it's a shocking event like you said in the introduction it's something you you go to work that day or you go out that morning and and then you know this event happens and it's it's not at all expected and it it has an impact on every aspect of their life their family life their financial aspect I mean you know work is such a big psychological factor for all of us and how it makes us feel about our value and and our structure of our day and when you take all of that away from someone you know it's almost bound to have an impact and mm-hmm. we're seeing more and more you know people uh, suffering not only with the psychological consequence but the physical consequence that is wrapped up in that psychology so lots more people I'm coming across suffering chronic pain and fatigue type symptoms that are not necessarily explained by you know a scan an x-ray but you know nevertheless very very real for that client and Mm. impacting them substantially Um, and I, I just think yeah what they can get on the NHS from what I've seen anecdotally as well it's just very very limited and not at all specialist enough Mm, yeah yeah absolutely um I think um there's also that uh, sort of the engagement aspect of rehabilitation which um where mental health can be a a big barrier to that um Mm. and that's I think that that's um really tricky when you are in that litigation context Mm -hmm. and you are trying to get those Mm -hmm. outcomes to evidence the need Mm -hmm. um and it's just added pressure for everyone and and of course you are talking about a fragile sometimes fragmented family support system behind that client as well which adds to the the challenges I think Mm -hmm. so it's so much more you're right than the physical and often it's even more than just the client I say and I don't mean that sort of um, minimizingly but um, no. there is a I, system <laughs> I always find it so important um when you know for example um with a client who has sustained a brain injury that the neuropsychologist be able to 
to sort of have some education sessions with with the family as well because Mm. you know they are there on the front line dealing with it day in day out and I so often you know they're the ones I tend to speak to on the phone and they say well you know he's doing this he can't remember this I don't know I don't know how to deal with it and you know it's really important that they get that support and education as well yeah absolutely and that to me what I'm hearing as well is that that compounds what you have to deal with as a lawyer, particularly in the absence of an MDT or a case management uh, in place, um, mm-hmm. that you are not just necessarily perhaps dealing with the clients if they are able to communicate with you directly. You are dealing mm-hmm. with, you know, parents and partners and yeah. adult children um, yeah. uh, and, you know, possibly um, statutory services and mm-hmm. you know, medical colleagues, you know, mm-hmm. before it becomes um, a rehabilitation, personal injury claim. Mm, that's um, right and sometimes and that, with if it is a brain injury case as well where the client you know lacks insight mm, that they do. so you know perhaps they do have capacity but they you know they don't quite realize the extent of their difficulties and as you say potentially don't therefore engage with things it it, it does bring a whole other element and sort of speaking to their family is so important to understand really what's going on and yeah. but yes if they don't have that that support then they are coming to you for 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 more support and emotionally Mm. you know we just it's very very difficult you do become part of their life in a very big way over the course of you know can be three four years but you can't you can't help them with that trauma no no that's it and I'm I'm wondering how you can't sort of have a, a podcast recording in this day and age without talking about the p word the pandemic yes um and um how that has impacted on how you are practicing and how you are managing that trauma for yourself mm. for your clients in the context that you're now having to work I'm, I'm yeah could you say maybe a little bit about that yeah absolutely I do think it has it has impacted I think all of us you know think that there are probably pros and cons of of working from home and um you know definitely I, I've seen that and we seem to now be reaching a point where we're going to be back in the office although you know one can never be quite sure <laughs> certainly it has changed um the culture of of our workplace and many others such that we will be working from home at least some of the week you know permanently from now on so it's a really important point I think and one that as somebody who supervises other people as well I have to think about is how you know, it is different being at home. And obviously, one of the big issues is if you do have a, a traumatic phone call or a very difficult phone call, you are then in your home environment, you're in your home space. And how do you how do you deal with that? You know, if you were in the office, the first thing you would probably do is turn around to a colleague and, you know, blow off a bit of steam or perhaps, you know, say, oh, you know, how would you have dealt with that? Do you think I, you know, do you think I dealt with that okay? And you'd have that peer support automatically on tap. Whereas one of the big things with being at home is obviously we are all a bit more isolated. Um, mm-hmm. We do have teams and, and the phone, but it's not quite the same, is it, as, um, you know, that ad hoc sort of um, conversation. And I, I certainly think as well there there has been a blurring you know of the sort of work home boundaries so whereas Mm. you leave the office at a certain time and you know that tends to be your shutdown for the evening well because we are all so flexible which obviously has has its benefits it's sort of 
if you take that call at seven o'clock in the evening, whereas you probably wouldn't before, and it's then a very distressed client or you know, a very aggressive defendant um, or something like that, you're then, how does that then impact your evening that you probably would have been winding down otherwise? So I think it's something we really, you know, we need to focus on. Um, and we've we've sort of got an opportunity really, given that everything has changed to, to make sure we are looking after, you know, our well-being. I'm sure this is tr- true for many, many professions, not just, not just lawyers. Um mm. I think you're right. I think um, we we psychologists like to to talk about contracting, um, not in the legal sense, perhaps, um, but kind of similar idea that you're kind of making clear what the relationship is going to be like. So we think about it as clinical contracting. So when you have a a client um, who's new to you, you kind of make clear what your role is, what you know your responsibility is, and what you know, what you are going to be able to do and what you're not going to be Mm. able to do, kind of Mm. what you were saying about boundaries and talking about it. And we would revisit that contract, if you like, throughout the therapy, depending on how it's going and what new aspects of their needs emerge throughout Mm. the process. And I'm just thinking how potentially helpful that idea could be in that supervisory relationship that, that solicitors might have with their junior colleagues that they are sort of in in charge of. Um, and kind of being able to explicitly describe what support could look like when you are working from home if you get that crisis phone call and it's Mm. slightly out of hours or it's you know classic Friday evening Mm. phone call um, what you can do and and how that could be just really clearly set out so Mm. everyone is aware what is available to them and what they might be required and expected to do Mm. yeah uh, yeah, that that feels like something that um, could lend itself potentially to a uh, to any, uh, like you say, any profession, but mm. um, could be quite helpful um, yeah. to feel contained, I suppose, in those yeah. moments. I think so much of it also comes back to, I mean, partly experience, but also training. And you know, we, we receive a lot of training in, you know, not from the psychological perspective so much, but in, you know, how to deal with difficult situations how to you know mainly that's delivered by sort of more senior colleagues who've who have been there and they've you know they've had these crisis calls and you know sort of feeding back and and lending your experience of of how you Mm. could at dealing with those and knowing that you could call your boss at any moment you know and and get that support is obviously a huge factor in that yeah definitely it does feel like it's massively dependent on the personality of your boss because like you say it's not something you're trained to do and it's not necessarily I don't know your contract you know in in an employment contract sense Mm -hmm. but it's just that you know we're all working with humans and we all are humans and Mm. um we feel you know even lawyers even lawyers feel that's what I'm learning today (laughs) not that I ever doubted that but there is um you know coming from the case manager treating therapy perspective there is that, um, I think there is a bit of a perception that, you know, you've got your lawyers up there in their ivory tower and, um, you know, they're they're sort of not necessarily immune, but, but sort of removed mm, away mm. from those crises. And actually what I'm hearing you say is that actually we're, we're bloody not. Uh, <laughs> we're in the thick of it just as much as anyone else. Yeah. And to be treated differently or to, if indeed that does happen, or to, to be perceived as uh, you know, a uh, part of the, the the machine, you know, the litigation machine that won't understand perhaps what's going on, mm-hmm. um, feels a bit of a an in, you know an injustice. 
to be mm. honest with you. It doesn't seem think, very fair. Yeah, I think the places where I've really noticed of, and, and something we could take away something from, from this podcast is, you know, working as part of the MDT as much as possible is hugely mm. beneficial. I think, you know, everyone gets the benefit of it. The lawyer gets more information about the rehab and, and what's happening the team know more about the litigation and what stage you're at whether that be you know are more funds likely or you know is the case going to be settling soon and and therefore you know how does that impact and things like that and I think you know I've had situations where for example I was representing a, a man in his 20s who'd had a very severe brain injury and he had extremely um sort of aggressive and difficult behavioural um, symptoms as a result of his injury. It was so important that we all kept talking, you know, not only from the point of view of his family of how to deal with it, but that even I would know how to deal with it if he phoned me up, which he sometimes did, and, you know, and, and myself and also the court of protection solicitor, who deputy who was managing his money, we you know, phoned her up as well, demanding money and, you know, some really tricky conversations. So, you know, to be part of the meetings as much as possible, um, to actually understand the behavioural guidelines that have been given and, you know, understand and take in information and things like that was, was absolutely essential. And as you say, I know that sometimes we are sort of seen as not quite part of that. And obviously there are meetings where it isn't appropriate for us to attend if it is a clinical only meeting. But there can be a huge amount of benefit of us all of us all working together um, mm. for best interests. Definitely. It, it reminds me of um, a couple of treating psychology cases that we've had where we have we've brought in the solicitor um, and we, it's been responded to, you know, variably um, because I think it depended on the role that the solicitor had with um, with the clients mm. and, and um, how involved they were with the um you know with the behavioral planning but mm. um you know it just it, it's it's not going to do any harm basically no, to, to no. share that but yeah. also in the moment that you might get um a phone call so the one that I'm thinking of in particular there was a real uh plan like a, a plan that had to be consistently implemented across the teams mm. where um you know kind of if if there's an escalation and there was a description of what that could look like and what a de-escalation plan could look like and how we then could mark on this it was literally a graph um of of what that could look like and where we might then be in terms of the de-escalation and what we then have what we could then do to bring in support you know appropriate support and communicate what's just happened etc etc um and you know in some cases that's really important to share with the solicitor or the deputy you know who is you know much more part of that um you know sort of first response team in a way and I think to know that and to formulate that within the MDT is is crucial. Yeah, no. So thank you for for reminding us of that. Yeah, really helpful. I've got. I, I just wanted to ask you a quick question about the concept of reflective practice. It's a big thing in the the mental health world, and you know, being a psychologist, it's something that we do regularly. Um, and it's the idea of not just kind of how well something is going but um within and this is within a supervision structure but also how did it feel for you and I'm just curious um that it's it's variably practiced um across the helping professions and psychologists are you know the pioneers of this idea um, in the main but I'm just curious as to whether that's something that happens yeah um, I mean we're, we're, 
we're very hot on, on supervision um and you know it we're sort of audited on it and it's a very very important part of our practice but I would say it tends to be supervision and therefore reflection on the case the casework itself so what could and couldn't I have done better about you know dealing with that defendant or issuing proceedings or whatever it might be and it tends to be less about you know how how the person sort of um, emotionally or uh, psychologically dealt with the situation. Um, mm. it, it's much more, you know, obviously because that is that is what we we do day in day out. It's much more about the casework itself. Mm. Mm. Yes. Now I wondered if that would be the case. I kind of mm. thought it might be, but I just mm. when you were talking about, um, you know, kind of being at the sort of the receiving end of aggressive behavior mm. you know desperate um circumstances mm. i know in the past we've even talked about suicide in our in mm. our client caseloads and yeah. these are massive these are really serious situations that yeah. needs you know that have that will have an impact yeah um and i'm yeah i just um wondered if reflective practice is something that's that's dealt with in in the legal profession which, think, because of course that does add to the the stress you then feel and then you then take home and yeah. you can't shut off to so on yeah. and so forth I think it's something we could always always do do more of you know because like any busy profession you know we all sort of you're on to the next you know you're on to the next thing mm-hmm. and you have to because there's other clients who need you and other cases that are pushing on and and you sort of do you take the time to do that reflective practice probably not as much as as we should when it comes to these you know highly traumatic situations unfortunately I myself have had a client who who has committed suicide and it was you know devastating um for me it really was sort of peer support and and supervision was what I relied on um Mm -hmm. and you know there was thankfully a case manager um involved in that case so you know between her and I we sort of supported each other as well and you know got got through that but yeah no one no one prepares you for that type of situation it's you know hopefully something that doesn't happen very often but yeah very very traumatic Mm. when it does no absolutely and you know our clients are high risk at the end of the day and in in some cases in in many ways um Mm -hmm. and you know the the support around them is often quite um like we were saying before fragile Mm. um and so the resources are quite can be somewhat limited in terms of protecting our clients and and their family members so Mm. um yeah no that's really interesting and it's something yeah it's certainly something that I would encourage any professional in the personal injury world to absolutely do is reflective practice you know, sometimes it's not necessarily even about the high risk aspect of a client. It could just be that I'm just finding this client really tricky at the moment. And what is that about? What does that bring up for me? And, you know, I'm noticing that I'm going home and I'm just being a little bit more short tempered with my partner or my, you know, other fa- my personal family members or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm withdrawn a little bit from my social circle because it's it's the capacity that it takes up in our minds because we have finite capacity don't we in our emotional sort of um buckets if you will to to handle stress and it it doesn't matter if it's your stress or my stress if I hear your stress I'm going it's going to have an impact and it's going to fill my bucket up that little bit more 
And when our own life stress then kicks in and we've got our work stress in that same bucket, you can imagine it just overspilling. And that's where overwhelm comes in, you know, yeah. uh, burnout and all of these terms that we're also familiar with at the moment yeah. um, for the right reasons. And I just, uh, if there's any way that that could be reduced and sometimes, like you say, just having that peer support and having it built in mm. to what is now a new normal. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, what I would say, contracting that in some way, whether that's, you know, literally contracted in or whether that's a sort of understanding of how it, how it, how it can work um, is, um, is going to be so helpful for the longevity and the sustainability of all of us yes. in our, in our jobs to help some pretty you know pretty horrifying you know stories and um, mm. and and people who are living those those stories really you know we want to continue delivering high standards to each and every one of our client and we can only do that if we you know if we're in our best shape to do it yeah it's that classic um you know you can't give what you don't have yeah. <laughs> sort of right. scenario and a little bit that, you know, put your own oxygen mask on before you can put it on other people, yes. um, you know, sort of not necessarily, you know, that's kind of, that's got to be the backdrop. And that's really important to, to bear in mind. And we have got to, we've got to keep replenishing that and reminding ourselves. So coming to that sort of point and kind of drawing this discussion to an end, you've mentioned a few things as we've been talking. I'm wondering if there are maybe two or three things that you would like to sort of highlight as a sort of take-home message to either solicitor colleagues who are listening in or just the PI profession in general who might be listening mm. in today? Yeah, I think one of the, the probably for me the biggest take-home point is reminding, you know, myself as well, as well as, you know, perhaps others that, you know, we are a part of the, although not the clinical therapy team, we are a part of that client's team. And to make sure we're all communicating regularly with each other, that we, you know, attend meetings where we can, that we're fully on top of, you know, what works for this client, what the risks are for that client, what the benefits are for that client, so that we're all sort of singing from the same hymn sheet and can support each other um, mm. to get the result for the client. And then I suppose the second is, you know, what, as I say, what I think is improving, but probably could improve even more is peer support uh supervision and you know um make sure that junior colleagues especially you know feel they can approach uh, you know their their peers their their supervisors to talk about any situation that just makes them feel you know uncomfortable for whatever reason um and that they can help uh, be helped to unpack that and work out a strategy for for going forward yeah that's excellent. Yeah, thank you. For me, I would say um, there's something about understanding the role, of, the true role of a solicitor, actually, and um, the context in which you are having to practice and that you are, you know, you're just as much, you know, sort of available to clients as we are. And it's it's hard to remember that as a case manager and a, a treating therapist, I think, perhaps. Um, and Maybe because um, coming back to that point of um, sort of joint working effectively or doing that much, as much as you can, um, maybe that's not happening perhaps as much as it could, um, mm. which will then help us imagine that you are also there, you know, with the, the challenges that that you have. And, you know, we're, we're kind of in the same boat. <laughs> you know, we're on the same yeah. team. We're on the same yeah. boat. And 
what hurts me hurts you too because you mm-hmm. too are human and maybe i can end it there by saying thank you very much uh laura murphy for joining us today and sharing you know what it's like not quite a day in the life of a solicitor but gosh um it's tough going for you as you know as well and i really appreciate that sharing you know lawyers like i say are, are sometimes seen as a bit different and driven by different maybe I don't know, pressures, um, but actually the pressure is the same. You know, you're dealing with the same people. So thank you for that. Yeah, um, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. It's a really interesting discussion. Yeah, more to be had on it, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, I will close it for now. Um, and thank you very much. And I uh, will see you next time. Before you go... If you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support. 